Well, good morning once again. Good, good, good to see you all here. Uh, before we get started in uh, today's study, um, I just want to take a moment and uh, let you know at, and challenge you as a church, if you're online, if you're here, uh, we want to challenge you because, you know, this year has not been what anyone planned, <laughs> no matter what walk of life it is. And as we look forward as a church, we want to, uh, we know that just things have been radically changed. And uh, we are in a process of just saying, okay, God, how do we do this? What, what is the future? Uh, what is church going to look like even when this season uh, ends, whenever that is? Uh, what does it look like in the interim? And, you know, there's some statistics out there. Uh, some reports are showing that it's up to 30, like about a third of the church, not just this one, but across the globe, is not just that they're not connecting online, not that they're not returning, but about a third of the people who previous, before coronavirus, were actively involved in their faith communities have completely given up or walked away. That's a, th- a third. That's a high number. That's a lot. Now, I hope it's wrong, but those statistics are proving pretty true across the board as far as people's engagement and connection in a lot of churches. And in some ways, you can look at that and think, what if a third of all the Christians in America no longer even claim their faith? What does that mean? That's pretty staggering. Um, and I think as a church, instead of just saying like, wow, that's kind of a bummer. I hope we can get our attendance back up. I see this as an opportunity to say, Lord, maybe what are you doing? See, because in the history of the world, things happen. <laughs> There's been all kinds of different things. that have been opportunities for the church, for the followers of Jesus to be reunited, to have this uh, revival of hearts and spirits, and where God pours out a mighty work across the land. And sometimes those mighty works come after a season of maybe complacency. Maybe it is just that the American church has gotten a little bit too comfortable being American church, and losing a third might not even do anything. And it might just open up an opportunity for the church to really say, what does this look like? And how can we lean in and allow the Spirit of God to be transforming our hearts and lives week after week, but also this community that he has placed us in? And so I think there's a sense of urgency that will come out of this, not a sense of urgency to say, how are we going to get our attendance back up? But a sense of urgency that says, how can we lean into the mission that God has and he's always had for his people? And maybe this will just wake us up into something new. So I want to challenge you as a church, would you join uh, with me and with our leadership, they don't even know I've said this yet, but to take the month of August, because this is an idea I've been thinking about this week and I haven't told my staff yet, so that's called really good leadership, but uh, to take the month of August to be praying and, and the whole month and say, God, we're praying, we're praying for our church as a local church, we're praying for the church in Encinitas, San Diego, and to the ends of the, uh, all, all those stretches of the globe. We're praying for our hearts to be renewed and revived. We're praying for wisdom and what the road looks like ahead. We're praying for our nation. Our nation needs healing on many, many fronts. And I believe the hope of our nation is in followers of Jesus who've been transformed. And so would we take this month and say, this might not be ideal. I mean, we live in San Diego, so meeting outside is actually pretty close to ideal. <laughs> but this isn't, this isn't the model forever, right? But let's take this month and say, even in our discomfort, let it be a reminder 
that God calls us out of the comfort of our everyday lives and says, I want to do something that will take you to step out. So let's pray as a church for this month. You know, you're with me on that? You good with that? And let's pray that God, yeah, that's good. Let's, let's pray that God does a work here and in our community. So that's my creative intro to the message today. Let me uh, pray as we get started. God, we thank you that, Lord, even though sometimes things feel like we don't even know where to go, we don't know where the answers are. Lord, sometimes we have all these great ideas in our own heads, and if just everyone would listen to us, things would be better. But Lord, ultimately, if just we would listen to you, and we'd receive the identity you've given us, Lord, we'd live the lives you've given us and already placed in us. Lord, if we could do that and embrace who you are and who you've made us to be, then Lord, we'd start to experience this hope that rises above the circumstances. So God, I ask now, that in this place, would you inspire and encourage our hearts? Would you remind us of who you are? Would you remind us of who we are? And Lord, I pray that you would awaken your church, Seacoast Church, all of our other brothers and sisters here in Encinitas and North San Diego, California, United States, across the globe. Awaken us to a new sense of your spirit, a fresh move of God. And so, Lord, even as we open up your word and look at Psalm 130 today, God, let that be life-giving as it points us back to you. So we thank you and give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 130. We are in our summer series called Refresh. I'm so glad that we made the pivot. Uh, and we've told you before, but often we plan out the series pretty far in advance. And this year has been all about like, oh, what a coincidence. We planned this and we needed it. And then sometimes we said, you know what? This summer we need to pivot and do something different. So it's been great to do refresh, to look into the Psalms, to be reminded that we are not the first people who've ever wrestled with what God's up to. It's, it's a good reminder. So we're in Psalm 130 today. And today, really this idea that we see in here is addressing a time in your life when you just feel stuck. Now, many of you, some of you, well, yeah, many of us in here probably remember a time before cell phones. You might even remember a time of driving before cell phones. Uh, and, and, and do you remember that sometimes if your car got broken down or stuck, that sometimes you had to make, depending on where you are, you had to make a decision. And if you, you know, I used to work on a farm every summer up in northern Minnesota. So if you break down on one of those roads, you can wait for the next person to come by. <laughs> you just pull up, a, you know, a, on the side of the road and just see, uh, or you can walk miles and miles. But sometimes you have those moments where you just feel stuck and you have to figure out, what do I do from here? Sometimes there are easier answers than others. Maybe you've been stuck or lost out in the, the woods and you have this moment like, what? okay, do I go deeper and deeper into it? I remember as a kid, always playing in the woods. Again, when I was really little, I was in Minnesota, so it's called the woods, not the forest. And we would go out there and play. And there were times when you're there and you think, ah, I forget which way's out. And you have to, you just keep walking and you might get deeper and deeper. But you have these moments where it's like, okay, what do I do when I'm stuck? And really that's what we see here in Psalm 130, that the psalmist is dealing with a time when the psalmist feels stuck. I was even thinking just uh, about a week and a half ago, my family were in Northern California camping up in the Redwoods, 
And uh, I told, mentioned to some of you last week, I got a pretty good bout of poison oak, which I've never had that bad before. But, the, you know, the second day I kind of woke up and I could see the bottom of my eyelid. It was, you know, one of the things you never want to be able to see your own eye in the morning. And I thought, that's probably not great. And uh, we went on, my wife and I were going on like a 10-mile hike that day. And I was still feeling pretty well, but she's, she's like, something's, you know, you're starting to look, your face is swelling up, what's going on? And we're about a mile and a half in on this hike. There's been no one around. We're under these beautiful redwood trees, and we're all alone. And she started asking this question. She says, so what would I do if you passed out right here? (laughs) Which I said, like, well, why are you even thinking that right now? And uh, if you know Enneagram personality type, she's a six, and so that's what she always says. I'm a six. That's why I ask these questions. And, uh, but she said, so what would I do? And then I started thinking, like, well, why do you think I might pass out? And she's like, I don't know. Your face is swelling up. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then I said, well, I need to know more. And she goes, so what do you think I should do? I'm like, I don't know. I need to know more about the situation. Am I having a heart attack? Are you, you going to just like prop me up on a tree and be like, I'll come back later? Or, I mean, what is it? And, and at the heart of it, really, is she was trying to figure out what, what happens if we're stuck here. We have no cell phone range. Do, what do I do? And so the question we're going to address today is what do we do when we feel stuck? What do we do in those moments in our lives when we say, I don't know what to do? And so I want you to think of that. Even students, if you're here right now online, some in here, think of that time. What is a question that you said, man, I would love to know the answer to this. Sometimes I feel stuck on this question. What is it that if you could have God definitively answer it, what would it be? And I think this psalmist kind of models for us what to do when we're stuck. So let's look at Psalm 130. It starts off and it says this, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. I actually like better the NIV version of this. It says, would you turn your ears to, the, to my cry for mercy? And so he starts off, and I think the very first thing we see when we're stuck is there's this cry from the depths. The psalmist says, out of the depths I cry out to you, God. Recognize your situation and cry out from the depths. Now, this term, out of the depths, is used often in in Hebrew, in the ancient Near Eastern world. We've even taught on this before, of this idea of in the deep waters or the deep places is a place of... Uh, where you're unsure of what's there. It's a very scary place. That's why the disciples, when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, every time they would go through the, across the lake, they had this great fear because there's this fear in the ancient world of the deep, of the depths, because it's unknown. You don't know what's down there. You don't know what, what is under the water. You don't, and it was metaphor for those times when, of this uncertainty. And so he starts off and says, out of the depths. We find David in Psalm 69 says, I have sunk into the deep mire. There is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood overflows me. Again, describing a time of, I'm in this place where I'm just overwhelmed. It's deep over me. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 10, speaking about the Lord, says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over. Here again, bringing that idea of God, even in this case, when he led his people across the waters, dried up the sea, this was also symbolic of in the deep, of the place of unknown, of the place of uncertainty, even God dried it up for the redeemed. So there's this theme that you hear. 
So what is the depths in your life? The psalmist here, the depth seems to be a sin situation. As we read the rest of the psalm, it seems to be the sin of, of the nation of Israel. A place where saying, ah, we're lost, Lord. We're in trouble. What would be the, the deep that you are feeling right now? Could it be a sin? Maybe an ailment. Maybe finances. Maybe a job situation. Maybe a relationship. I find relationships often feel like one of those deep places, those depths that we often find ourselves in, where you think, I don't even know what else to do. What is it for you this morning, if you were to describe there's something in the deep that you're experiencing? I know for me, I'll I'll tell you, one of the things I've been really thinking about, kind of feeling a lot lately, is just the burden for, as I mentioned to start off, of of what is the church going to look like moving forward? A burden to know that there's a a big group of seacoasters that we have yet to be able to connect with. Maybe you left messages, a lot of text messages, emails, everything we can do, phone calls. And there's an unknown segment. There's this deep, this kind of situation of uncertainty. What does the road look like ahead, even for the church as it is? And it's something that I am in and saying, God, I don't even know which, I don't have all the answers to this yet. Every expert who tells us how to be the church post-coronavirus, they don't have a lot of experience with that, to be honest. <laughs> so we're trying to figure it out. But the depth, the deeps, are often the places where we feel fear, anxiety, the times in our lives when you feel totally out of control. So the psalmist models and says, cry out from the depths. Own it. Acknowledge it. Cry out, God, here is where I am. And then it gets good. Look at this. Pick it up now in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. This actually, again, if you look at another version, is essentially saying, God, if you kept a record of all of our sins, nobody would make it through. We'd all be in trouble. So the psalmist starts off and cries out from the depths, acknowledges a situation, and then the second thing we see here is appealed to God's character. So cry out to the depths and now appeal to the character. Look what the psalmist does. Hey, we're stuck in sin. That We're in the depths. But let me remind you something about who you are, God. See, if you kept a record of our sins, we would be in trouble. But you, O oh Lord, are a God of great forgiveness. And because of that, you may be feared. And when we see that idea of fear in Scripture, that's this idea of this reverence from God. It's a response to who he is. So notice this, an appeal to God's character. The psalmist says, we're stuck in sin, but Lord, the good news is you forgive. Remember that? The good news is that you're gracious. Do you remember that? Now, he's not saying that so God remembers that about himself, by the way. He's not trying to say, Lord, don't forget, you forgive. He's reminding him. The psalmist is reminding himself of God's character. Appealing to God's character is to say, oh yeah, but you are a forgiving God. What is it you need to be reminded of? What of God's character do you need to claim this morning? Is it his forgiveness? Is it God's sovereignty this morning? Do you need to remember and declare, but God, you are in control of all things. Nothing's out of control. I want to... Say this not so that you remember, Lord, but so that I remember. This morning, do you need to claim the part of God's character where he is love 
and he has a concern for you, that he looks at you with a profound compassion, a profound place in his heart for you. Do you need to be reminded of that today? Lord, I feel lost. I feel alone. But you, Lord, love me. What is this character that you need to be remembered today? Maybe you're a healer, you're a restorer. Appeal to his character. You know, in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, there's this story of the disciples who are crossing the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they're hanging out on the Sea of Galilee in the afternoon or the evening. The waves will get, uh, kind of stir up. And if you've been across the Sea of Galilee, this is not like an ocean. So we might, you know, being familiar with the ocean, think, why are they afraid of that? But again, ancient world, this was a terrifying place to be. So they would be, they started getting terrified. Jesus is asleep. A storm starts rising up, and they wake him up and say, Lord, um, just so you know, we're about to drown here. And in this little story, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus stands up. He calms the sea and says, why do you guys not have faith? And then, I don't know, I presume he goes right back to sleep. I was looking at that story this week and thinking, why did he question their faith there? Should they have known that he could calm the sea? What was it? See, he was in their moment of the depths at that moment. They needed to be reminded of something of the character of God, and they lost faith in the one who they were with, who they just saw him feed 5,000. They just saw him perform all these miracles. They just saw that when Jesus was tired and he saw a massive crowd, he wanted to get away, but his heart was stirred with compassion. They just learned something of the character of, the, of, of their Lord, that he loved the people. He cared for the people. He would sacrifice for them. He wanted for their good. And here they're in the boat, and they forgot that about him. His closest friends forgot that. He says, you have little faith. Why do you forget? Why do you think this is not who I am? You've been watching me. Sure, I'll calm the storm here, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you just need to be reminded that I care about you in this storm. So we want to appeal to God's character. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 130 in verse 5, says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than a watchman waits for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for in the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him there's abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice after we cry out from the depths, and then you appeal to God's character, apply it to your situation. And then the next one is this, wait with expectation. Notice the psalmist, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in the, his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman waits for morning. Do you ever have one of those nights where you're just waiting for the morning? Anyone tracking with me on that? Maybe it's a night where I, I can think of a few times when maybe I had food poisoning or something and you get just like the right position with your body and you're just waiting and waiting for that like moment to start feeling better. Uh, I remember one time my, uh, we were living in the Middle East and we took a little R&R over to, to Greece and um, we made the mistake, we had all three of our kids, of uh, eating in a, we don't usually do this in these kind of hotels, but ate in the hotel buffet um, that night and one of my sons loves 
swordfish, which is from a buffet. Now I think back, like, that was bad parenting. So, um, <laughs> but he, he scarfed it down, and I remember that night. We were going to leave the next morning uh, on a boat, and it was one of those nights when you're looking at your eight-year-old, and he was so sick, had this food poisoning all night long. And as a father, you know, you just want to take it as a dad. He's like, I- I'll take that. I'll do it. But I couldn't. I had to sit there with him all night trying to help my wife and the other two boys sleep. And those are those nights where you're like, I just, I can't wait till morning. I can't wait till that sun rises up and my kid finally falls asleep and we can kind of get the next day going. That's that longing for the morning. I love how the psalmist says this, just as a watchman, and this is the night guard he's talking about, more than the night guard waits for that crack of day. That's how much I wait for the Lord. I'm expecting him to show up. So after we cry out, we, we appeal to God's character. Wait with expectation. Wait as if God's going to answer. Now, let me just make a statement here. He may not answer the way you want him to answer. But God will answer. But sometimes the answer he's going to bring us is the one we need more than the one we want. But expect that he will show up. Expect that he will meet you in that moment. Many of us, myself included, when I want God to show up, I can tell him exactly what that needs to look like. <laughs> I've got it all worked out. <laughs> and I think sometimes he says, that's a great plan, Ryan, but good thing I'm God and you're not. <laughs> but it, wait with expectation. Have confidence in the outcome. Hand it over. And then don't take it back. Uh, just this week I was... Um, with one of my sons, we were fixing a, a part on his car and uh, learning the valuable lesson of we can do this for $30 or $400. Which one do you want to do? And uh, so I was out there showing him how to do it, and we were fixing this part. And it was really fun, actually. I love that when, when we can lean in and kind of do something together. And he's like, oh, this is a lot easier. And I saved a lot of money. I'm like, yeah, isn't that great? But it's one thing when I'm teaching him how to do something. In fact, it was something I was never done before, but we were learning it together. But it was, I wanted him to do the work. So I'd show him and he'd start doing it. And it was so hard for me when I see it struggling a little bit or see him struggling to not just say like, here, I'll just do it. Because the one thing, any of you who have ever worked on cars, the one thing you have to know is patience is the number one skill you can have working on cars. Just the way it goes. And, and, and I, ha- I always tell him that. Like it's so, nothing is hard. It's just you have to be patient because you're going to try the same thing 90 times and then the 91st, it works for no reason. This is how it works. But I have this tendency to hand it off, but then want to take it back. And it was funny when I was thinking of that with him this week, that isn't that what we do to God a lot? Lord, I hand you this situation. Okay, now I got it. (laughs) You can have it on Sunday morning, but like about noon, I, I want it back. But the psalmist here is saying, Lord, I hand it over to you. And I wait with expectation that you will show up. Have confidence in the outcome and expect a resolution. Look for God to do something. Look how the psalmist ends. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. That's that word hesed. It can be mercy. It's God's mercy. With you, this is what there is. And with him, there's abundant redemption, for he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There's this expectation of the outcome and a reminder that, God, you will show up. You will do what you said you will do.
look for the answer and expect it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, when we cry out to God from the depths, it's going to take a, me- a measure of faith. Hope and the assurance, of, or assurance in things hoped for, things we may not see. I want, the, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And as they come up, I wonder how many of us, this kind of hits home on many levels these days. The depths that we're experiencing. And today, can we just find encouragement in our heart that God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in your neighborhood. He wants to do something in the city. He wants to do something in our country. And so let's wait. Let's look. You've heard it before, but there's a story. You may have heard it before. I've said it before. A story of a person who prayed out to the Lord. He was out in the ocean, and his boat capsized, flipped over, and was drowning. So cried out to God. God, I'm in the depths. Will you save me? A few minutes later, a boat came by and said, hey, you need some help? He said, no. I'm good. I cried out to God to save me. A couple minutes later, another boat came by and said, you need some help? He said, no. I cried out to God to save me a third time. It happens again. Finally, the person drowns. Makes it to heaven. Gets up there and says, Lord, I cried out to you. I had full faith that you were going to save me. I expected that you would have. What happened? Maybe you can see where this is going. God said, I sent three boats your way. Some of us, when we ask for God for an answer or to show up, sometimes we're looking for the wrong answer. We're looking for what's going to appeal to us. And so this morning, I want to just encourage us as a church. Faith might be accepting what God is doing and trusting that he is at work. Trusting that his character has not changed. And he is for you. He's for your family. He's for this church. He's for our nation. He's for us because he is good and it's for his name. So let's allow this last song to kind of minister to our hearts and just whatever God's doing with you now and stirring, let's just take a moment to reflect and allow him to speak to us in this place.